0: Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing today? all right? Are we awake? Get coffee? <laughs> I think I need a little one, just one more coffee, right? Um, thank you for joining us. Um, my name is John Martinez uh, from Evident.io, and this is Anthony Johnson from Ellie Mae, and he'll give a little bit of intro about himself in a little bit. But thank you for coming and talking uh, together today about the AWS hero's journey of achieving... It's a really long title, Autonomous Self-Healing Security. That's a that's a pretty long title, right? So um, we're going to talk a lot about a journey. Um, we've all embarked on this journey. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have been using AWS less than a year? Not too many. Okay, cool. but enough. Uh, how, how many of you guys are, like, you know, uh, less than, like, three years? You're, you're kind of, okay, good chunk. How many of you guys are old fogies like me? You've been using AWS for, like, seven years. Oh, pretty cool. Awesome. So uh, we're going to talk about this journey about how do I get uh, autonomous in my security processes. Also, but just by a really quick show of hands, how many of you are dedicated security folks? That, that's your job, your cloud security, InfoSec, et cetera. How many of you are DevOps operations? How many of you are developers? How many of you are... Both, or all three. Another good chunk, right? That's good. A lot of polyglots in here. So that's good. So here's a little bit of the story that we're going to talk about today. Um, programmatic security, that's a big chunk of the journey of going there. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the CIS, AWS Foundations benchmark, how benchmarks play a role in security, um, a little bit of compliance, you know, the the topic that's near and dear to all of us, all of our hearts as operations folks or developers. We absolutely love to hate compliance, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and I'll introduce you guys to uh, a couple of programs, the AWS Security by Design program, a little bit of what Evident.io, my company, does. Uh, and as well, in between, uh, we're I'm going to ask Anthony to share a little bit of what he has to say, and he has to say a lot, so highly recommend um, to listen to Anthony. But at the very end, we're going to sort of wrap it up with um, how do we exploit the bots? Uh, and that's really where the meat of g- gaining that autonomy happens uh, and taking stock. So a little bit about myself. Um, I've worked in the cloud since 2010. Um, did a little bit of work uh, over at uh, that large streaming company in Los Gatos, um, if you know what that is. Um, but more previously than evident.io, I worked at Adobe Systems, where uh, I was uh, leading a team of uh, DevOps engineers, automation engineers, uh, on the creative cloud side of the house. Uh, and I've been doing Unix work for a really long time. And just a little bit about myself, I like uh, making latte art at home. I work from home now, full-time, and I bought myself a really nice espresso machine, so making latte art is one of my passions. <laughs> so if you have any, like, YouTube channels that you like... For making latte art, or you're better than me, I would absolutely love to get some tips afterward from you. So definitely come up and let me know about that. But let me introduce you, uh, Anthony Johnson from LA May. Anthony.
1: Cool. Well, the mic works good. Uh, so um, start with the obvious. Um, I'm, I'm horse. So thank you, Vegas. Thank you, AWS. And, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, also, since everybody can see, I do wear a man purse. Um, my coworkers are keen to tell me, tell me about it all the time. So uh, <laughs> I wear it with pride. Uh, so, um, so my name's Anthony Johnson. I currently work at Ellie Mae. Um, I like to consider myself a full stack engineer, um, um, which apparently many of you also do. And so I, I you know, shared kin- kin- kinmanship in the, in the room. Um, but, uh, and, and John stole this from LinkedIn. So I, I, I didn't even know it said that on LinkedIn, but apparently it does. So um, essentially, um, oh, not yet. I'm still talking about me. So <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so essentially, um, give a reason why I think I'm a full-stack engineer and w- why you should care to listen to me. I mean, I, I guess I started off in operations, uh, doing um, what, what most people see in operations, which is, you know, I went to be a Unix admin when I was in high school, and so that, was what all the, that was a cool job at the time, um, back when Windows 95 was out. So uh, it quickly figured out Windows admin was actually a very, very boring job that, that, you know, that, that really really the, the automation of the, the the core was 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 what was needed, and nobody was really doing reports, and nobody was really spreading the love across uh, the organizations. It was really just the the Unix admin keeping the thing running and giving out shell accounts. So, um, I ended up uh, quickly in my career starting to do automation and programming, and uh, and then um, you know the the ops and dev divide. Um, I was ended up told that you know I went to the dark side. I went to product development, and um, it's a shame that that's what they thought. It was you know the dark side guy that went over there and. Of course, on the other side, they said you, you came from the dark side, and uh, that's what it was. So, so I did product development. I ended up um, getting into hardcore product development. I ended up at a in a great role in Nokia, which was for me a big deal because I had started with a lot of startups, and and at Nokia I did product development for about four years. Um, uh, Nokia scale was really good for me. Uh, we did data synchronization from 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 mobile phones all the way back to a private data center. Uh, lots of hardware, lots of lots of great Sun equipment, and. Uh, you know, pretty pretty crazy days. So, um, but but product development leads your scope very narrow. So we in, I ended up jumping back to operations because that's where all the fun is. I mean, re- realistically, so um, there was no such thing as DevOps. But I jumped back to operations and uh, still ended up doing programming on that side. So it sort of ended into this making products for operations. And uh, and then Nokia made the switch to um, from private cloud to uh, to public cloud, uh, AWS, um, probably about four or five years ago. Uh, I was lucky enough to be into the uh, core, uh, everybody has one probably in their company or should, should think about having one, their, their cloud platform team. And uh, AWS, uh, we ended up with um, uh, 300 accounts. Um, we, we were pretty much a, a you build it, you run it type shop. So the idea was is that uh, the developers needed to develop an app and we needed to control blast radius. We needed to be able to, to give cost back to them uh, Need to really be able to give them control of their destiny and get us out of the dependency chain. So we had a very much a here's your dev account, go do whatever you want in it. You mess it up, we'll, we'll scorch earth it. And then, also we had production accounts. So, but the, the neat thing about this is we had 300 300 accounts and we managed it with three people. So it's a really neat story that I hope you guys um, understand here and and uh, you know see where we took it. So um, and so so I myself have um, the great thing about these skills is that all these com- you know, a lot of companies have these same problems. So uh, it's, it's a marketable skill, and I wanted to move to the West Coast, so um, I ended up um, moving to Ellie May. So now we can go to Ellie Mae. So my, my slides aren't very exciting, so um, it's really hard to collaborate on these, these things. So you bear with you. have to listen to me, unfortunately. I'll try to provide lots of colorful uh, words. <laughs> but uh, so Ellie Mae um, is a um, West Coast company, uh, East Bay. Um, um, for, for those of you who are not familiar with the San Francisco Bay Area, it's basically San Francisco and the peninsula, Silicon Valley. You go a little bit east, you hit Oakland, you go a little bit further east and where everybody actually lives is the East Bay, um, a little bit east of Oakland. Um, and there's Pleasanton, San Ramon, Dublin, Danville, and a few others. So it's a, it's a nice little area to get away from the city. Um, but essentially, uh, Ellie Mae um, was making the same transition to the cloud. They were very early. Um, they had um, maybe two or three accounts uh, when I joined. Uh, but, but the stories were all the same. How do we manage, how do we scale in AWS? How do we move forward? How do we go there? And so who is Ellie Mae? I realize I didn't even say what we do. So we are not a government entity. We are um, basically a publicly traded company that was started in 1997 around the idea of automating everything in real estate. So um, um, our mortgage brokers and banks are our primary customers. And we essentially um, automate, are automating the transactions. So you go, you know, you want to get your rate. We, we handle managing all the rates. Uh, that house inspection, hopefully the bank is ordering it through using our system. And we currently process about uh, 25 to 30% of mortgages that flow through this company. So there's a, there's a good chance we actually have um, a good slice of people's data in, in, in this room and in, in our, in our back end. Um, we're, we're a lot of the nuts and bolts behind the, the mortgage industry. Um, we, before I started a long time ago, there was a, a bad crash in our private cloud system, and uh, the federal government government kind of came in and got mad at us so it's it's a it's a pretty interesting company, pretty central but kind of behind the scenes for most people. Um, so I ended up early May because they have essentially a lot of the same problems that every other company has, or at least maybe a lot of you have, which is um, I, I have all these people trying to go a thousand miles an hour in AWS Um, How do I control the chaos without um, Without turning it back into the private data center essentially or making it make putting myself in the dependency chain and so um, at Nokia, we wrote a whole bunch of code, but essentially, um, you know, they brought me in to help lead this team and uh, together with a bunch of other smart people and uh, You know and so why did I make the move? marketable skills uh, Ellie May, we had a great story behind being a, a best, um, you know, best of the Bay type of company to work at, but get to the get to the Bay, and so it, it was really a good opportunity for me. And, and of course, I'm inheriting a whole bunch of private cloud mess again. But that's, of course, that's what we all do this for. So that's that's really about how I ended, how, about me and Ellie May, and how I ended up at Ellie
0: May. Um, I'm going to awesome. hand it back to you. Awesome. Thank you. clicker work. There you go. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, Evident.io and. The programmatic security story. Uh, let's get a little bit into that. So Evident.io, um, we have uh, the ESP platform, which is the Evident security platform. Uh, we're a new generation security platform. Um, we really are designed for the cloud, in the cloud. A little bit of the story comes of the genesis of Evident.io it comes from a lot of the lessons we learned at Adobe uh, doing Creative Cloud at scale, or AWS at scale. Uh, really hundreds of AWS accounts um, and tens of thousands of EC2 instances. How many of you guys are in that boat today? Really large scale, right? Um, even if you're not, there's a lot of things to learn from those of us that have been doing AWS at scale. Um, things like, you know, patterns like using auto-scaling for a lot of the way you launch your EC2 instances. But the idea, though, about securing that number of AWS accounts at scale really goes and makes a difference for your accounts, even if you're not at that level of scale, right? So really it comes about uh, having that uh, security visibility across your entire footprint. Um, also one of the things that we're really big proponents of is the shared security responsibility model. Uh, when I asked, and I, I know a lot of a lot of you here get it, um, a lot of you raised your hand that you were polyglots in both security and DevOps, and development. So uh it's something that is a shared responsibility. We get that. We know that. I'm preaching uh in, in many respects to the choir for in that regard. So it's one that uh in within our product, and I'm not gonna go into a product pitch but just a little bit of background here, um where we absolutely envisioned that that sort of uh state of security in DevOps and we've gone and implemented it. Um we do continuous security monitoring. Um we're doing this via APIs. Um so we're relatively light scale. We're not asking for you to install an agent or doing some other crazy things like that, because you know, a lot of us have been through agent burnout, right? You know, oh my god, another agent that I gotta go install on all this stuff. And and right you know, whatever configuration management for, just to manage that thing, right? So anyway, so we're doing this through uh, the AWS service APIs um, and through CloudTrail. So we actually do ingest uh, AWS CloudTrail event data and make correlations between the security findings that we discover in your AWS accounts and CloudTrail and give you the ability to correlate um, those security events. Uh, and kind of take a nice little view. Uh, uh, one of my customers actually said that they were going to try and build a wall of shame with this uh, uh, this powerful correlation data, right? Who are, who are the bad guys in my environment, right? So um, that's what we do. That's what Evident.io does. From the get-go, though, big believers in APIs. Obviously, we consume the AWS service APIs at really large scale. So we're all about the APIs. The platform itself lends itself to that model as well. Uh, Anthony will talk a little bit about that uh, uh, in, in a little bit here. But really, when it comes to programmatic security, that is where we are. We're about programmatic security. Um, APIs are a big part of our platform. Uh, this is just a really quick screenshot of our API development documents. Um, and pretty much, there's with a few exceptions, and we're getting better at it, um, based on a lot of the feedback which of customers like Anthony have given us where they're pushing our platform uh, even further out uh, into their automation uh, in, in their organizations. We're building a lot of that um, into the platform. But we have both a control plane and a data plane API. So, um, again, security is programmatic or can be programmatic, uh, and that's absolutely part of what we preach at Evident.io. We also have uh, output integrations. So these integrations make for some very interesting uh, places to take your security data. Uh, from the get-go, we don't believe that uh, this security data should be held hostage in our SaaS platform, so we are a SaaS platform. Uh, it's your data. Um, you should be able to do with your data whatever you want. Um, one of the things that we do have, so, you know, some of us are using... Where's the uh, laser? I don't think... You so... Absolutely, we have some wonderful partners. Um, as of today, we can also, we're also going to announce that, uh, we've added Sumo Logic to our list of partners. So we're very happy about that. And I'll show a little bit of screenshot in a little bit. Uh, so that you can go and take your data and do some more advanced things with it. Again, this is your security data. Uh, a lot of our customers are either working on or starting to implement workflows, security workflows either through things like ServiceNow or Jira, et cetera. Uh, but they're they're absolutely taking this data that we generate and actioning that data in some way. Um, we also have um our our sort of catch-all uh integrations. Um uh the SNS integration, a really, really powerful one. I'll show you guys in a little bit an example of how you can use uh SNS to exploit the bots. So you know have AWS do the work for you. These are some of just examples of uh, some of the integrations that we have. Uh, Up on the screen here, um, we have a sample Ruby script of how a customer could take uh, the Evident.io SDK, uh, so this is using our Ruby SDK, and programmatically adding their accounts into the Evident.io platform. Now, with that said, um, how many of you guys are excited like I am about aws organizations How, right it's gonna make our life super easy right we love that right so definitely we're gonna work on adding organizations into our workflows as well uh, but i'm super excited about uh, getting my hands on it first of all i haven't had my hands on it yet <laughs> but uh, just looking over some of the uh, really um, early api calls that i see in it i'm very excited about touching it but before AWS organizations, we had to a, a solve this problem. Um, really, what it comes down to is at the very beginning of being programmatic, you have to be able to manage your accounts. Um, one, of the, one of the philosophies that uh, we learned really early on with doing AWS at scale was the concept and the security thereof was the concept of blast radius. Anthony talked a little bit about blast radius. So just really quickly, and if you don't want to raise your hand, that's fine. How many of you guys separate your AWS accounts by, you know, environment? Let's say dev, stage, production. How many of you guys are running everything in one AWS account? Okay, cool. So, yeah, that's (laughs) fine. Um, There's several ways to skin this cat, obviously. In the single account, multiple environment, um, you have to basically become an IAM ninja right, I am policy ninja, right, so my, you know, bow down uh, because you want to separate a lot of the permissions, you want to follow a lot of the security best practices around uh, least privilege where you don't want to give too much privilege to certain users in your environment uh, but definitely an easier way to do that would be to create more AWS accounts now some of you are thinking, well, is that really easier, right, why do you think AWS organiz- organizations exist now, right uh, it's not necessarily easier, uh, but what it does gain you is it gains you an isolated environment with which you can control access and literally from a security perspective with which you can control a little bit more the exploitability of your AWS accounts. Um, I've lived several times at 3 in the morning, uh, gotten an, a call for a security incident where an AWS account was compromised. How many of you guys have, you know, misplaced an AWS API access key, right? It's happened. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, but getting that nasty gram. Some of us have seen that nasty gram email that AWS security sends you that says it usually comes from like this really terse email address like abuse at aws at amazon.com or something like that, right? It says, Hey, this EC2 instance is being used as a source of abuse for a bunch of other stuff. You might want to go take a look at that. <laughs> so most have seen that, right? So the idea here, again, is I'm trying to nail down that. Definitely when it comes to programmatic security, taking care of the basics, just gaining visibility into your AWS environment is key to start out with. Um, so that's, again, we're very big proponents, and we have an SDK that allows our customers to go and implement uh, automatic account creation into the Evident platform. Um, another use case that I'll talk about is analyzing data uh, in some kind of big data or logging analytics platform. Um, what you're looking at there is screenshots of our Sumo Logic integration. Uh, and the ability for you to export, again, we're using the SNS integration that we have to ship a lot of this data that we've generated which depending on the size and the activity that you have going on in your AWS accounts it can be pretty large um we're talking thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of alerts uh an hour so um we can we can be very noisy so sifting through a lot of that um while our platform has a really nice user interface that allows you to look at all of your alerts a lot of times you know there's not a, there's not a human hanging on to the evident uh, console. Um, so we definitely partner up. Sumo Logic is a great partner of ours uh, where we work closely with them on developing this integration, and um, we also have integrations like, a, like I showed you earlier with other partners, but uh, definitely it's something that a lot of our customers are taking, and they're building uh, that building block of exporting the data and ingesting it into a place that makes that data actionable. Uh, data is great, but without me a being able to action it from a security operations perspective Really means nothing, right? So I can have tens of thousands of alerts And if I don't action them, they'll just become noise So that's the idea, is that we don't want this data To just become noise to you from a security perspective um, So the journey to security automation maturity So let's talk a little bit about that and what that looks like um, We have several buckets that, uh, several buckets that I placed uh, the maturity model into um, there's a place where we get into the proactive. This is where we integrate security into our CI C D toolchain. How many how many of you guys by a show of hands? I know a lot of us are doing smoke tests and A B tests and that kind of thing in our CI C D, but how many of you guys are embedding security testing into your CI C D toolchain? Awesome. That's good. So that's being proactive. Scanning my cloud formation templates, making sure that those things that go out and create resources in an automated and programmatic fashion are also secured ahead of time. So that, that's the proactive side of it. Code analysis and review, uh, pre and post deployed testing, uh, A-B testing, all of that stuff. The continuous part of it is where I would say a lot of us are. We're in that section where, you know, we may have Uh, certain, certain things that we're doing. Maybe we're doing vulnerability scanning. Uh, there's some things that we might have inherited from the data center days that we're still doing in AWS. Uh, logging, auto scaling. Auto scaling is kind of an interesting one, right? That's one that I've definitely learned that from a, the perspective of denial of service, auto scaling is a great thing to have uh, there set up. Even if there's an instance of one, <laughs> you know, because if something kills that instance, it'd be, it's nice to have that insurance policy that something, another instance is going to go replace that. Um, config management, et cetera. Then we get into sort of the ultimate state that we call self-healing. This is where I'm doing things like auto-remediation, where I'm generating some kind of alert or some kind of. Uh, uh, nugget of data where i'm saying that there's a problem And i'm using something like aws lambda for example To go and fix that automatically for me uh, We're doing things here like rolling back to known good states Failovers, right? This is kind of like the more advanced stuff Being autonomous, being self-healing Let let aws do the work for you kind of stuff uh, How many of you guys would say on by a show of hands that you're continuous. You've got stuff in security Operations. you got logging going. How many of you guys are self-healing? How many of you guys are, like, actually doing stuff, reacting To things? Nuking. Nuke it, right? If it's not working, nuke it out. Send it out of orbit. So now i'm going to hand it back off to anthony. And he's going to talk about how ellie may is using automation In their environment. So anthony.
1: Sure. Uh, so we know a little bit more now about the NIO platform, and maybe some of you already knew a little bit about it. Um, so, so uh, I mentioned earlier that when I was uh, at Nokia, and this is this is, I worked for both the, the old Nokia and the new Nokia. So, new Nokia was Microsoft uh, had bought the mobile device division, and I, I didn't go with that part to Microsoft. I stayed with the the the, the new Nokia, which was essentially Nokia Networks and uh, the mapping division. And, and honestly, the mapping division is what was what was in AWS. We lost like. Six, maybe like two hundred dollars worth of of, of AWS, um, you know, spend when when we we gave that to Microsoft. But it, essentially, um, the bulk of it stayed, and so the, and the, so we ended up with um, a platform. Uh, I, I mentioned three hundred AWS accounts, and we had a team of three uh, that managed this. And this 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 team actually never really got over like four people in its entire entirety. So it, it goes a lot to the credit of of the power of AWS. Um, the way we managed it at, uh, at Nokia was essentially writing a lot of code. Um, there was really nothing on the market that could do what we required, um, which was we had lots of business logic, lots of demands on accounts. Um, um, you know, so a, a, a centralized cloud platform team, from my perspective, has several things uh, to do in the business. Uh, one is to uh, enable the internal uh, customers. So we have developers, um, even even folks in marketing, they want to be able to do marketing, point you know, um, you know, demos and things, and so those are all customers. And then we, uh, you know, so empowering, so finding ways to make them more productive and getting out of the way. Um, the other is, of course, training, making sure that they're good, and then and then um, really sort of this giving out accounts and managing the accounts, uh, sort of a security perspective, and. Um, so we, we wrote code that, that audited all the accounts. Um, so we had, a, we had a dev account and we had a prod account and we treated them slightly different and there's several reasons for that. And I, I was actually very happy. So we wrote tons of code to remediate, know, know all of the Nokia business logic, the here mapping business logic in. And um, I, was, I was dedicated not to rewrite that platform uh, when I left, um, just because it was, a, it was a beast to maintain. And um, the problem is, is that, that it's always changing. And so a new feature comes out, and uh, you know we love automation, but we're like, gee, now we've got to go, write, go go work on this monolithic Java app, and we've got to go extend it. And, and it's it, it wasn't it wasn't it, it, it that wasn't actually even the hard part. The hard part was actually the communication out to the uh, to the audience. So like I said, we're 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 enabling development. So I want to be able to. I don't want to have to go fix all these problems. Um, I want to be able to visualize it to the people who need it. So if I give an account to somebody, I I want them to get the nasty gram. I think I was the wall of shame um, customer. (laughs) Uh, But I want them to get the nasty gram that um, they've done something wrong. Um, Ideally, I've already auto-remediated it for them. um, But a lot of times, you're not going to be able to auto-remediate if somebody does something wrong. Because maybe it's a production app, and uh, you're not willing to take that risk. Um, Again, if you catch it quick enough and you you have a CIC process, maybe there is no problem with the risk. But so so um, i didn 't want to write that visualization um, because there's you know you have to figure out how am I going to identify my users, how am I going to isolate them, how am I going to do all these different concerns and then and then you know finding ways to follow up with them so that was one of my big concerns when I approached uh, Evan and i o and so uh, one of the nice things about um, Evan and i o is we we share, a, we share kind of a, a big account background uh, John with um, with Adobe and actually Tim, uh, the CEO with Adobe, and I know they have other people from other big accounts, and so they they actually understood kind of the, the perspective that, that we had. So so we we um, so so you know so so getting it separating it out, um, self healing remediation. Essentially, we use uh IO for um, all account provisioning. So um, things that I create, uh, my things that Evan IO actually creates today. Um, end up being like security groups. And so we have a dev account and we have a prod account. Well, so the LMA public security group is actually different across both those environments. So in the in the uh, in the prod account, we'll have um, you know it'll be open to uh, to 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 any IP address on the internet. While in the dev accounts, um, you know I work with the network team. I understand what our IP prefixes are. So it's actually it's actually isolated to just you have to be on the LMA network to be able to access it. So. And, and from the CI/CD, that's very attractive. Um, essentially, my developers they can reference the same security group name, programmatically query the name, or have a way to derive the, the security group ID, and they can use the same one across environments. So their CI/CD pipeline is essentially the same, and basically, they, it's transparent to them. So it's not like well, I'm tweaking this for production, and then that's the part that breaks, and um, you know nobody likes looking like a loser. So there's a lot of um, so there's a lot of you know, being able to do really clever things with crossing the account barriers and setting things up, but we use we use right now Evan and IO for setting up the entire account. So if there's a cloud trail that needs to be set up, we do it. Um, account alias. Um, we're still um, we're still working on maturing up so that we can properly um, use single sign-on. But um, I've already you know got that plumbing done. It took took you know it took a it took a you know an hour to get that plumbing for um, for doing this the IAM single sign-on trust, and and so, essentially, we, we do everything. I set up a couple roles, and then and then configure it in Event I O. And then, essentially, before I hand it out to my developers, I make sure that all the Event I O checks pass. Uh, if any of them don't pass, it's essentially a bug of some sort. Maybe Amazon introduced a, uh, a different way an API change you know, an API works, or maybe there's some small changes. This is one of the, the problems with working with any of this automation around accounts. Is they're always announcing new things, organizations, or or something else, or or they announced Frankfurt where. Um, they don't support the old v2 signing and they only support v4 that was that was i don't know if anybody went through that but that was a lot of fun um so 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 essentially we we use we use we use this automation around essentially doing everything and this is this is really the the how we scale and um a, a small team to be able to service a lot of people is you know exporting the work to people that actually own the business logic and people who actually Honestly, own responsibility for fixing the problem. So it, it helps this sort of you build it, you run it mentality um, that we really want to push. So um, I'll cover more of the details as we, we move forward, especially around um, how we how we do some of these things. Because uh, if I jump too far ahead, then I don't have anything to talk about later. And, uh, and I can keep talking. So I'm going to hand it back over to John. I'll awesome. give a couple more slides of eye candy, and let's uh, all
0: right more about it sounds good uh let's talk a little bit about the cis uh aws foundations benchmark how many of you are familiar with it how many of you have implemented some kind of uh scoring around the benchmark cool how many of you are meeting the foundations benchmark 100 percent oh wow awesome nice so Let's talk a little bit about it. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Foundations Benchmark, it's a really great set of guidelines. Um, I liken it to um, that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean uh, where Barbosa is, th- is talking about uh, the, the, the rules for pirates, right? It's just, you know, they're not actually rules as much as they are guidelines. <laughs> uh, CIS Foundations Benchmark exists as a very basic way to score security in your AWS accounts. Um, It's really one of those things that we believe pretty much everybody should be testing themselves against. Uh, It's a little bit of the the behind-the-scenes, so I was actually part of the committee that came up with the benchmarks, um, including CIS and AWS, and it was a lot of work, so... We had to sort of sit through these phone calls and try and figure out which are the things that we want to put in as a very basic sort of check against my AWS accounts. Um, and we came out, the benchmark came out eventually, um, and we think that we did a relatively pretty good job, um, and there's going to be more updates to the benchmark, obviously. But the benchmark is definitely something that will guide you. Um, we treat the benchmark actually as a sort of a basic compliance set of controls. So even though it's not necessarily, a, it, it's not really a an industry standard compliance uh, a standard, but it's something that every AWS customer we believe should strive to reach. Uh, the benchmark has some good things in it. Um, it's got things like uh, looking at your MFA tokens in your accounts, it's got things like making sure that some basic encryption settings are right and all of that stuff. So uh, definitely I would take a look at it if you haven't seen it yet, um, all of the controls there. But one of the things that you'll find in the benchmark at the very end is a score sheet that you can go and take your self-assessment and score yourself in your AWS accounts where you are. So uh, I will announce today as well that um, Evident.io, we have an automated CIS Foundations Benchmark scoring system that's built into the platform. So when you turn on Evident.io, the Evident Security platform, as part of your subscription, we're giving you the scoring <coughs> checklist of the CIS Foundations Benchmark. So you can really quickly, at a glance, take a look at why the hell do I have all those red Xs going on, right? What's all that stuff going on? Uh, so and I do have a couple of check marks there That I'm passing all of the controls. But regardless, I have a nice, programmatic, Continuous view against the benchmark That I can go and take and hand off to my boss uh, Or whoever, right, or even to myself, <laughs> right, So that I can take a look at across my environment <coughs> How I'm doing against the CIS Foundation's benchmark. So we believe, again, that those sets of controls are something that um, every AWS uh, customer should go and adhere to. Um, so that's the foundation's benchmark. So uh, I'm going to pass it back to Anthony, so that Anthony could talk about compliance. Compliance is not something yeah. pleasant, necessarily, but... Yeah, yeah,
1: John told me he took that screenshot from their prod account, so... Uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so... so uh, Ellie, Ellie may... Um, uh, compliance is very important for us. I mentioned earlier um, that we we process mortgage transactions and um, much we have to operate much like a bank. Maybe in some ways more, more even more secure, paranoid. Um, because um, you know, with a bank, you may get their uh, you know their date of birth or Social Security number. We we actually have uh, you know seven or ten years of employment history, and uh, we know who um, you know all these things, all these hoops that you go through for getting approved for a loan. All that data resides within us, so our, our compliance story is uh, essentially has to be um, watertight. And as, as a result, we get um, we get <clears throat> we get audited constantly. Um, we have an entire team that they you know they're they're underneath our security, and you know, I guess we call it security and compliance. But they they do nothing really but handle auditing and making sure that all our software we're using is proper, making sure that we meet things like the CSI benchmark and. Uh, they have a huge platform, and so we're 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 bound by some really interesting constraints when we have to go and design something. So, uh, I give an idea. Um, you know, today even with Evan and I/O, um, you know, w- when they send me an SNS message with with remediation, um, I actually still don't even trust that. Um, I actually uh, store a separate config of of my remediation, and I actually pull that from an S3 bucket um, for making sure that I'm not. You know, it's a zero trust type thing, right? I, I, there's nothing wrong with remediating the same thing two or three times, because it's, it's, it's only going to make it to the right state, so there's really no harm in that as long as I've done my remediation code right. But somebody if somebody's able to inject something and say, go create an IAM policy that, that trusts um, this, this other AWS account, that's, that's a problem for me. So even though um, I love Evan and I.O. and I, I, we do give them a, a bit of trust, you know, the roles they have in my account are, are read-only and uh, zero-trust policy. So so with with compliance, we end up with um, making sure that um, you know our encryptions are, in, are insane and everything like along those. So so already, um, you know, with the CIS uh, benchmark, um, you know, I've already been asking John to make sure that that this is extendable, that it's not just a CIS compliance benchmark, because I'm writing custom code also against my my accounts and my compliance uh, my compliance teams have have. Um, have business business requirements that I have to adhere to for compliance, so uh, one of the attractive things was the ability that to, to essentially take my custom code, my custom checks, and be able to match those to my uh, compliance uh, my compliance needs for running an Aws and what, what what that essentially does is now my compliance guys will be able to log in uh, this is something i didn 't have at Nokia, which is actually a, a big win. My compliance guys will actually be able to log in and when, whenever those reports whatever those uh, PCI compliance guys come in and they say, "Well, tell us about an AWS account and what you're doing." Um, they will be able to log into, you know, EvidentIO and go to literally a, an aggregate report of everything, and they'll be able to, uh, if we do right, hopefully see check marks all the way down to show that uh, we are indeed compliant. And, and the great thing about it is, you know, the, the prove it becomes just digging a little bit deeper in the whole, you know, the whole story here. So. Um, you know, if it's my own code that's doing it, my own Java code that's out of band, that's that's uh, you know convoluted with a whole bunch of other Java code, uh, then you're really stuck demangling this, and it's really hard to prove no matter how technical or untechnical that that auditor is. So we we I like this idea of being able to show a compliance report. Well, what 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 is what does that mean? That check mark, and you say, well, these checks here are doing that, and say it's a really technical guy. Well. What code is doing that, and you can hop into it. So it's a, it's a really nice, really nice narrative, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to being able to implement it for our compliance guys and, um, and and security as well. So these reports also are, you know, shareable with security. And my whole point is, is you know, I want them to actually go and look at it. I don't actually want to. Once it's done, I never want to actually look at Evan.io again because I have a thousand people in the company that should be doing it. So um, that's really, you know, Ellie May. This is really kind of this new next gen compliance story that we've never been able to really achieve with uh, sort of our private cloud that we're actually able to gain with, you know, this move to public cloud. So with that, I'll hand it back over to you, John.
0: Awesome. Another thing I'm going to talk about really quickly here is AWS Security by Design. So from the get-go, the AWS Security by Design program is really a recommended approach to proactive security. Uh, a lot of it, obviously, because it is run by AWS, is based on cloud formation. So templating your environments, or CloudFormation is the implementation of that in AWS, is a really great way to set up your baseline for your environment. Uh, so I, I used CloudFormation extensively in previous jobs, and the one thing I really liked about it was that I can literally stamp out my environments. I can clone a VPC here or a VPC there and uh, be on my way. So... Uh, the Security by Design program gives us that practical approach. Uh, one of the things that is visible, if you look at the, that link that's down there in the Security by Design link, is a really nice matrix. So you can uh, you can learn how to create this matrix that allows you to map out your own controls in your environment. What what controls do I need to put in my environment to make sure that this AWS account meets my requirements, basically? Uh, and then you flow from that into a CloudFormation template, something that implements those controls in a very active fashion. So if we look at the workflow, we can say, okay, we've got this controls matrix that I've built. I want my AWS environments to look like this. And then we go and write a CloudFormation template that stamps it out. And then we go proactively and continuously look at those environments and make sure that I'm testing. That's where things like CIS foundations, benchmark, et cetera, come in. So, um, I did want to show a little bit of code. Um, not everything is a panacea in these types of, uh, this type of world. Uh, if we look closely here, uh, at this cloud formation template, uh, I can quickly see a, what I would call sort of a rat hole that I could get into, uh, that ensures automation breaks my stuff. <laughs> Uh, until I go fix it, right? So uh, what I'm looking at here is a CloudFormation template that goes and opens up port 22 accidentally. You know, I'm, I'm writing this CloudFormation template. You know, a lot of us don't write code at 3 in the morning, right? So, you know, I'm not really tired or anything like that, or I haven't had, you know, that extra, that extra latte in the, uh, before I get on my coding binge at, in the middle of the night. But what I can see is, in that section, that I've missed something. I've missed this little quick thing. Uh I don't know why I put uh 0.0.0 slash zero there for my uh CIDR IP address on the ingress rule, but I did it. And all of a sudden now I've got a an auto-scaling group that goes and launches 50 EC2 instances with that security group all from CloudFormation. So what I wanted to show you with this example here is that you know security by design, templating my environments is great. But we still have to, uh, we still have to make sure that we follow what I talked a little bit about earlier, code testing, right? And it shows that just because I'm creating infrastructure doesn't mean that it's not code, right? So this is one of the other things that you should take a look at is to make sure that all of your code is clean and that, um, you're actually testing against that code as well and then you're looking at it. So, um, this is one thing. Um, how many of you are analyzing your CloudFormation templates for security pitfalls? Awesome. So, just really quickly, um, what, what tools are you using to analyze your templates? Homegrown? Homegrown stuff, right? Right. And I saw somebody else raise their hand. Same kind of thing. You're writing something that basically ingests the JSON file, the uh, the objects, and then goes and analyzes the security. So, absolutely. So that's one of the one of the approaches, obviously. So. Uh, avoid those security uh, pitfalls uh, because they do exist and they do happen. So another area in our platform that uh, you can gain some of this automation uh, is through our custom signatures interface. Uh, we give you the ability in the platform, like we showed earlier with the CIS benchmark testing, we do have very prescriptive tests in your environment. Uh, we cover a lot of different AWS services uh, built into our platform, But in addition to that, um, we also make the claim that we support pretty much every single AWS service, minus the ones that were just announced, right? (laughs) Uh, Because it does take some time to propagate into our platform. But we have a custom signatures interface. Um, What this interface does uh, in our platform is that it allows you to extend to uh, make all of the testing that you need to get done for your environment. I talked about... I talked about security by design and the controls matrix. Well, a lot of the controls you're going to come up with are not going to be things that Anthony cares about, necessarily. Um, your IP address, uh, your IP egress I- address space is not going to be the same as Ellie Mae's, right? It's, you're going to have something else. So if you're, if you're writing standards and controls for security groups, like example, as an example, you're tagging standards, as an example, Those are going to be things that you, only you and your organization care about. So that's the intent of the custom signatures interface. As well as, you know, we're not, we don't have signatures for every single AWS service. Uh, I don't even know. Do you know, Anthony, how many AWS services there are now? I I lost count. Yeah, right? (laughs) The big, the big huge fire hose. If somebody knows out there, please definitely let us know. Uh, but the idea here is for you to extend our platform and to be able to write because God knows that mm, for a long time in my environment, I had to do a lot of scripting for myself where I had to go and write these automations and throw them in some kind of cron job or Jenkins, etc., to go do all of this for me. So um, the basics of it is that if you can write it in the Ruby SDK for, uh, for AWS, you can write it into our platform. So that's really what it comes down to. Um, an example use case for these things, uh use cases, would be enforcing tagging standards uh, where you have those, the, you know, I need to have, you know, maybe one tag for my cost center number, one tag for the owner of the, of that particular resource, et cetera. Another one would be, again, like I talked about, the egress base uh, issue. Enforcing uh, custom SSL ciphers on my load balancers uh, is another one. Uh, we do have a, uh open source repo that you can go and look at and look through and get some signatures. I'm showing one example here. So in this example uh, code here, uh, what we what we can see here, it's relatively easy. Um, you know, you're using Ruby. How many of you guys are Ruby people? Rubyists? Not very many. Python? A lot more hands. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, it looks very similar. The methods in, you know, Bodo are a very similar. I have a I'll have a Python example later on. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but Really what it comes down to, um, much like using the SDKs, uh, we support a lot of the same constructs in the custom signatures interface. Uh, in fact, this is relatively uh, native Ruby code. So you can see here that um, I do have the EC2 object inherited, but um, I go and scan through all my uh, images, all my uh, AMIs in, in, in the accounts. And again, we're propagating through all of the accounts that you've given us access to. Uh, and what I'm doing is, as I loop through each image, I'm actually checking whether to see that image has the public bit set on it. Um, you know, this one's a little bit more intentional. For, for me to have a public AMI, I have to be sort of intentional about it. Uh, but I've seen it. I've seen it in cases where, you know, this image doesn't necessarily need to be public. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a custom signature that goes and checks that. And down at the end, if it's public... The logic goes here is if it's public, generate a fail alert. So in our in env- in our in our system, you're going to see a fail message. Uh, otherwise, it's a pass. So again, relatively simple to do, very customizable. I definitely spin up a lot of custom signatures that have some pretty gnarly uh, regex in them. So it's definitely something that you absolutely can do in your environment. So again, I'll pass it over to Anthony so he can sure. talk uh, a little bit about so,
1: it. So, so the custom signatures you just go, I... I so we, we um, I'll give you a bit, the best use case I've found right now is um, um, we, use, we use it to deploy Lambdas to all of our accounts. So I uh, think talking about horizontal enablers and, um, and making sure that all accounts are at the right state. And so um, we have for our centralized logging platform a, a um, essentially a, you know, set up a log stream on CloudWatch Logs so that you can get those logs out of, of, of um, you know, some of the services that natively log to it. So you know, one of the challenges is is you know you you know you provision an account and you set it up and uh, you know maybe you use CloudFormation to deploy it and and um, you know and you set up a little version 1.0 uh, in the description to try to remember which one you set and now you've got this job of having to go and scan it and um, you know so we we essentially um, using um, the SHA 256 that's exposing the API we pull it with evidence I O. Um, we check that against uh, the SHA 256 of the authoritative place that we store it, which is in a, a secure bucket in this essentially our management account that does all the remediation as well. And uh, if the SHA 256 doesn't work, we spin up an error and we say, uh, you know, we say go auto remediate that, and uh, essentially, um, you know, that, that we did we, we then go into and update that that lambda completely transparent. Um, we, we never delete because uh, deleting can result in some bad stuff. So it's always it's always updates. This is one of the lessons learned of, of managing is you, you can't delete profile, you, you can't delete IM profiles, you can't delete IAM roles because uh, all those roles are associated to things. It's really, pure remediation. You have to go and you know delete the policies that don't exist there, update the lambdas to be the right code, update the descriptions and the the memory parameters around the lambda if that's your bug that you have. But essentially, being able to the, the power of being able to sit here and say, wow, my my Lambda has a bug, it uh, ran out of memory um, because of, we found some new bug, but being able to sit here and confidently, you know, put something in there, deploy it to your dev accounts first to make sure you don't break, break some regression, and then roll it out to your production accounts is actually, is actually very powerful. Um, around this, so, so the way we treat Evan and IO is very programmatic. We, um, we use their APIs exclusively for provisioning artifacts inside of them, so um, we, actually after talking to uh, several, Evan and I/O customers uh, who have share the same concerns. We've actually, I'm, I'm actually going to work on uh, after reInvent, working on, on uh, opening up some of our platforms. Uh, essentially, they revolve around using YAML files and uh, trying to get code reuse out of um, out of these these custom signatures. So, uh, ultimately, I want to work with John to be able to get that into the core platform. But there's a lot of you know we. The nice thing about the platform is it allows you to be able to. You know, it's just like AWS. Every every MVP of AWS, everybody's felt it. You're like, why doesn't it do this? Why doesn't it do this? And you send a note to support, and they say, well, oh, here's the workaround. You know, the nice thing about the platform is they built it uh, flexible enough that you can not actually work around it. So, um, so we've been doing that, and they're they're uh, you know they're they're very open ears, which is nice. And so we, we work on a, we're kind of a team together working to make it happen. So that's I would say that's Ellie Mae using Evan.io for success is a bit of a partnership, and um, we're don't want to run out of too much time. So go ahead, John.
0: Awesome, yeah. So, um, the last section that we're going to talk about is exploiting the bots. So, uh, here's where we get into the meat of the discussion, right? Um, you know, so we'll, we'll talk about this little section really quickly, but what can I do now? Now that I've implemented all of these controls, uh, now that I've got some uh, automated testing and programmatic testing, I've written things to a point where, uh, I am, uh, writing some custom checks in my environment and adhering to a security uh, by design, platform, where I'm doing things proactively, what can I do now? Uh, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, taking advantage of AWS's serverless compute service, Lambda, right? Uh, great service that you can definitely use to trigger functions to go do this work for you. Um, how many of you guys are using Lambda Extensively, Awesome. That's great. Absolutely. It was one of those things uh, that, got, that got deployed in AWS as a service that I absolutely have been waiting for all my life, and I didn't really know that it was there. So uh, one of the really nice things about this is from the self-healing perspective, this is where I can react to changes in my environment. I talked a little bit earlier about nuking things out of orbit. I can definitely do that. And an example I'm going to show you here is... Uh, auto-remediating that port 22 open to the world. Um, so this is where I get into... I've used Evident.io to generate an alert for this particular issue. Uh, I've integrated SNS to be able to send this alert via the message over to Lambda, and, and I go and trigger the Lambda function. And what this Lambda function does is it goes... Oops. Is it goes and takes the alert that we've generated, so we spit out uh, JSON to you, and I've gone and ingested this, and at the very end here, this is where I'm doing the nuking here in the function. I go and revoke that rule that I've discovered in my environment. So, again, this is exploitability at its finest, self-healing, right? As issues come up, I'm going to go and generate the alert and go fix it. So, it's something that, um, that I can use to my advantage. These are the robots that I have access to. Um, let's see. So other areas that you can exploit, not necessarily Lambda related, but you can. Automatic rollback, we talked about. Failover to other regions, I discussed really quickly. Uh, automated, automated, uh, creation of, uh, quarantine environments. Uh, definitely something to explore. Um, Absolutely. As I've gone through the travels, I've had uh, instances that have been exploited, instances that uh, have been taken over by bad guys. So quarantining those environments, creating a VPC automatically, copying, taking a snapshot of that instance and going and moving it off to this quarantine environment, it's a really good use case for uh, using a lot of automation. So we're going to talk really quickly About uh, how Ellie Mae is doing some of that self-healing I think I hit on it We, we only awesome. got a few minutes So let's, Perfect. let's roll through Perfect So we've come to the end Taking stock of your environment How would you rate yourself? This is, you know, partly the pain meter, right? Uh, how do I rate myself? Am I all the way on the red side? Am I somewhere in the middle? Or am I totally on the green, right? How do how would you rate yourself? Who's Who would say you're in the red? You need a lot of work to do and it's fine to be honest, you know. There's a lot of us out here. How many of you guys are somewhere in the middle? You know, you've got stuff to do still, you know. But I've got a lot of cool stuff going on. And how many of us are totally in the green? Right. Nice. It's okay. Come see me after the show. <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, so again, Ellie May has a great story to tell. Um, thank you very much for staying with us. Uh, We will both be, Anthony and I will both be down at our booth. Uh, We'll be here for a few minutes still, but we'll both be down at our booth in 404. And I did want to say that all the code samples that uh, I showed today uh, are accessible on this GitHub repo. The slides obviously will be accessible as well eventually. But uh, definitely come see us down at the booth. We'd absolutely love to talk to you. So thank you very much.